Good morning, everybody. And if you're confused, the, the passage in the bulletin is Romans 8, 21 through 26, which is also a wonderful passage, just not what I prepared for this morning. Um, so, uh, but that's okay. Um, good morning. Uh, despite the, uh, uh, the un-Christmas-like weather, uh, it's wonderful to come together and, and worship and, and raise our voices uh, to, to praise our, our risen Lord. And I want to uh, just thank all of you for coming this morning. I also want to thank Michael Walters uh, for preaching last week as he uh, helped kick off our Advent season preaching on hope. And this week, uh, as we approach, um, or, or as we continue in Advent, we're uh, looking at peace and what does peace mean to the believer and to, to Christ's church, uh, which is kind of funny because Christmas is supposed to be all about peace. There's supposed to be peace in Christmas, but I don't know about you, but I, I look around it and I don't see peace in the world and the culture around me. Culturally accepted, or it, it is culturally accepted that pretty much once Thanksgiving hits, you're allowed to start the Christmas music, and the Christmas season has officially begun. In fact, our, our Advent season starts immediately following Thanksgiving. Uh, but look at what happens the day after, uh, a day where as a nation we come together to celebrate and give thanks for, for our very lives and our existence and our nation. And the day after Thanksgiving is one of the greediest, most selfish consumeristic days of the year. Immediately following Thanksgiving, we, we start off the Christmas season with Black Friday, where people are literally fighting over toys and blankets and whatever else is the, the hottest trend this Christmas season. And then you get into Christmas season proper with all of the decorations and you've got to get your tree and you've got to get the lights up and you've got to hang the stockings and do everything else. And then you think, oh, well, I've got this Christmas party to go to. I've got the work party. I've got the party for uh, my, my kids' school. I've got this to go to. There's the Christmas concert, which I hope you can all be here tonight. No pressure. But there's everything else going on. And then, well, I've got to get gifts for uh, my spouse. I've got to get gifts for my brother. I've got to get gifts for my parents. I've got to get gifts for this person, this person, this person. And then there's just the concept of getting together with family as a whole. And don't get me wrong, I love my family, but it's one of those things where when you get the entire family together for concentrated amounts of time, there's always some sort of conflict that comes out. And so you look at all of these things combined in the Christmas season, and it's very easy to think there is no peace in this whatsoever. But maybe, just maybe, we're approaching Advent and Christmas all wrong. And in that, maybe we're even approaching Jesus all wrong. In fact, we look at this passage in Romans 3, 21-28, and we don't see any of the cultural expectations Uh, that we've come to associate with the coming of Christ. We don't see anything about all of the external distractions. 
And in fact, we read this passage, and I would argue that because of Christ, everyone can have peace. Not just a peace that's free of conflict, but a peace that that Scripture describes as a shalom peace. A peace that's everlasting and eternal. A, A peace that settles down in the very core of your soul. Not just the absence of conflict, but a peace that brings hope and love and joy. As I said, all people can have peace with God. And as this passage says, especially in particular, through faith in Jesus Christ. And this, this is the peace that we long for. This is the peace that we hope for. But sometimes we can't even put words to it. And this passage shows three important aspects of this peace with God. In verses 21-23, through it shows a peace that no one can earn. In verses 24-25, through we see a peace that no one deserves. And lastly, in verse 26, we see a peace that only one can deliver. Before we go any further, let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come to You this Advent season amidst all of the craziness and distractions that we've come to associate with Christmas. And we bring our chaos and we bring everything else going on and we sit at the foot of Your throne. And we ask that You would be here, that You would pour out Your Spirit in this place, that You would bring Your peace in this time. That Your Spirit would speak through a broken man like myself. That this would not be my efforts. These would not be my thoughts and musings. But this would be Your Gospel truth celebrating Your peace in this Advent season. And we pray all of this in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. Now since we've been in the book of James for... Uh, a couple of months now. Let me just give a a quick uh, introduction to where this is in the book of Romans. Uh, This is a letter from Paul writing to a congregation that's comprised of Jewish converts and Gentile converts. So you have Israelites who have come to know Christ and non-Israelites who have come to know Christ. And at this point of the letter, he's writing specifically to the Jewish converts. And he's specifically talking about how they take, have, have been taking pride in the law. That what they've been doing has not been resting in Jesus Himself, but that they've been trying to find their rest and their peace in the things that they accomplish and the things that they have done. And this immediately follows earlier in chapter 2 uh, an entire exposition of Him talking about or recapping what Scripture has says about how no one is righteous. In fact, he's directly lifting out of Psalm 14, in Psalm 14, verse 3, where it says that they have all turned aside, together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. Paul is examining all of the Old Testament Scriptures about what it says about our nature, our human, broken, sinful nature. And he says that there is nothing that we can do, that any man can do to save himself. 
Because the law itself cannot offer salvation. The law shows us where we have gone wrong. And then we get to this passage as we see the peace that no one can earn. And in verse 21 we see, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested. Now. Not now in 2018, but at the time when when Paul was writing this, he's saying, now the time has come. The time is right. It's not the... uh, the righteousness of God is not uh, it's not just his, his righteousness of Himself. But it's the righteousness that God gives to His people. Now is the time where God's righteousness has come for His people. And it's the righteousness of God Himself. It's the righteousness of His moral character. The, uh, the goodness, inherent holiness of who He is Himself. Revealed in the person of Christ in His death and resurrection. And all of this displays God's moral goodness and His righteousness. He says now is the time where it has come. But the righteousness of God has come apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. So this righteousness of God that reveals the character of who He is, His holiness and His goodness, has come not through the law because the law doesn't give salvation. The law can't save anyone. God's righteousness has been manifested. It has been seen and come into our presence apart from the law. But all of the law points to it. In Luke 24, after Jesus was resurrected, He's walking on the, the road to Emmaus and there are two people that He's walking with that don't even recognize who He is. And Jesus says, or, and it's recorded for us, that beginning with Moses and all the prophets, He, being Jesus, interpreted to them in all the Scriptures the things concerning Himself. So, Jesus Himself says that the law and the prophets are pointing to Him. In Acts chapter 10, Luke records a a sermon from Peter as he's preaching to the house of Cornelius. And Peter says to him, again being Jesus, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in Him receives forgiveness of sins through His name. There's the repeating it's not just a theme, it's the truth that the Old Testament, the law, the prophets, all of the Old Testament are pointing forward to this coming of, of this specific point of time where God's righteousness is manifested in the person of Jesus. Specifically, the righteousness of God in the flesh. In verse 22, he goes on to say, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. This righteousness is not something that's earned. There's not some sort of uh, heavenly or divine balance where if you do just enough good things that it will outweigh the bad things that you've done. You can't do enough good things. You can't help enough little old ladies cross the street. You can't give enough 
to toys for tots. You can't give enough to, to any charity. You can't even do enough good churchy type things. You can't go to enough Bible studies. You can't say enough prayers. It's not the things that you do that earn this righteousness. But it's only through faith in Jesus Christ. Then he says that there is no distinction and in his day, Paul is specific, or in this congregation, Paul is specifically writing, he's saying, there's no male or female, there is no Greek or Jew, there's no Israelite or Gentile. And we look in there like, yeah, I, I get all that. That makes sense. I mean, pretty much, we are not a Jewish culture. We understand the concept of outsiders coming in to Christianity, and we're pretty much cool with that. But I think if Paul were writing to our churches today, Specifically here in the United States, he would say there is no American or Iraqi or Afghanistan or Russian. There is no Democrat or Republican. There is no Southerner or Northerner, East Coast or West Coast. There is no white or African American or Latino American or Asian American. There is no straight or any letter of the LGBTQ. There is no distinction because as he continues in verse 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is no one specific category that earns God's favor. It's not about being Jewish or Gentile. It's not about who you are or where you come from. Because Scripture, as Paul summarizes, clearly says that all have sinned, all are guilty, and all fall short of the glory of God. You can't do enough to change that. You can't do enough good things to take away that guilt. You can't do enough, uh, uh, you can't bring enough social change. Uh, You can't be inclusive enough to to coin a phrase of today's culture. You can't be woke enough. You can't do enough things to take away the guilt that our sin brings because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Merry Christmas. Have a great day. See you later. No, it doesn't end there. And that's the, that's the good news of the Gospel because Paul does not end there. He does not end with saying, you're dead in your sin, you're guilty. Sorry, wish there were better news. No, he goes on and he says in verse uh, 24 that all are ju- are, and are justified by His grace as a gift. This is that peace that no one deserves because it's given freely as a gift. It's not something that you deserve or that you have done to earn this gift. Because think, even, even when you give a gift to someone that you love or someone that you care about, or maybe even just give a, a birthday gift to a coworker or someone in your class or whatever, there's always that thought in the back of your mind, what are they going to get me on my birthday? Even when we give gifts to the people that we love, and we, and we're, we can be very self conscious and we can say, oh, I don't need anything back. 
But there's part of us, there's something in part of me, something part of you, that even craves just that recognition, that thank you, that we want to be recognized for even the very giving of a gift. And that's why we're, I don't know about you, but I've been amazed by some of the stories that have been popping up online recently. Uh, I, did a, I just spent a couple of minutes doing a Google search last night just to, to look this up because uh, I, I don't know if you've seen this, but there have been people going to, to Walmarts because it's Christmas time. The Walmart layaway is back just like every year, you know, helping everybody get more and more in debt through the joy of Christmas. But there are people going to Walmarts across America and just paying off other people's layaway debt. And, and, and you can look this up, and, and there's probably even more than I found here, but just in a quick two-minute Google search, I found Ohio, Pennsylvania, Florida, and Georgia, each one of those states having at least two stores each where some anonymous person has gone in, and there's been a total of over $916,000 donated to just pay off other people's debts so other people can have Christmas gifts to give to their loved ones. Not asking for anything in return. Not wanting recognition. Not wanting anything back. And that is a very pale comparison of what is being described here when it says that this grace is offered to you as a gift. This forgiveness. This justification. This justification that God has given to His people is so much greater than just paying off your Christmas debt. It's more than, I don't know if you've ever heard the phrase that justification is just as if you never sinned. That's only half of the goodness. But the justification is absolving that guilt and that sin, but also giving righteousness. Giving peace. In Ephesians chapter 2, another letter written by Paul. Paul writes, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. This justification, this forgiveness, this peace is a gift from God, not something that any one of you not that any person can earn. So that no one can boast. So that no one can claim recognition. Look what I did. I did enough good things for God to say, you know what? He's good. I got him. No one can claim that because it's given freely through Jesus Christ. That redemption. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood. And this put forward, uh, it, it conveys this thought that, it, uh, that it, it's a public display. It's not that God just said, alright, well I'm just going to send Jesus to take care of that. But no, that Jesus is put forward in such a way that all the world can look at Him and see that He has come to bring this redemption and this forgiveness and this justification. And then there's a beautiful word here. 
the propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. And I know we don't use words like propitiation much in our culture today, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a, a, a theology nerd for a moment and give you a quick theology, les- a quick theology lesson because this is such a beautiful and heavy word. Our culture has lost the weight of words. And this is one of those words that comes uh, not just as a, a quick read-through, but it's a word with baggage. The Greek word, and I'm going to be that pastor real quick, but the Greek word is hilasterion. And it can be translated in one of two ways depending on the context that it's used. It can either be translated as expiation, there's, there's a good church word for you, or it can be translated as propitiation. The expiation is used when a payment is paid to appease a God. There's a payment paid, an offering made to, to, in, in some way to try to right a wrong with a deity. Propitiation is the result of expiation. Propitiation or expiation is the action. Propitiation is the result. The propitiation is the change of attitude resulted by expiation. In fact, think of it this way. Propitiation, prop like a propeller, that God's wrath is turned to God's favor. And I know those are are very churchy theology words, but there's a weight to them because what Jesus did in His death is that He is both the expiation and the propitiation. That His death on the cross was the payment to pay for the sins of a sinful people. And that payment results in turning God's wrath into favor. And that's what I mean when I say that this is a peace that no one deserves. Because of our sin, we all, all people, completely deserve the wrath of God. But this peace and forgiveness and justification that is given through Jesus Christ takes that wrath and turns it to favor. It's the work of Jesus on your behalf to pay the penalty for your sin. To turn God's wrath into favor. And to take God's wrath on Himself so God's favor can be poured onto you. And then there's a strange little phrase that says that this was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. And you... I don't know about you, but I look at that and I say, well, what does that mean that God has passed over former sins? Because clearly, God is offended by sin. God does not approve of sin. There's a penalty for sin, and that penalty is death. And so, God has not looked over sin. But what this is saying is that there is a proper time when God saw that it was best to bring deliverance, to bring redemption, to bring this justification. And this time was right in the person and time and place of Jesus Christ. God could have easily, 
after Adam and Eve just said, you know what, let's scratch that, we'll start all over, I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll declare you clean, and we'll just start over. He's God. He could have easily just have done that. But He didn't. Their sin and their disobedience got them kicked out of the garden. And in fact, the very first story after being kicked out of the garden is one of their sons murders another son. It's just a snowball of sin upon sin upon sin, bringing misery upon misery. And yet God had a plan because he, before He even kicked Adam and Eve out of the garden, He tells Eve that your seed will crush the serpent's head. That there will come a day where someone in your line will defeat the one who has brought temptation and sin to you. You read through the Old Testament, you see sin after sin of idolatry and adultery and incest and murder and child sacrifice. And there's everything. Ecclesiastes says that there's nothing new under the sun because it's all been done. And yet in God's plan, that this time that we're observing through Advent, the birth of Jesus Christ was the exact perfect time in history to bring God's plan to fruition. To bring redemption in the person of Jesus. And this peace, this peace that no one can earn, this peace that no one deserves, this is a peace that only one can deliver. That in His divine forbearance, it goes on to say in, in verse 26, that this divine forbearance was to show His righteousness at the present time. Because God's people had turned to every other option other than God Himself. As I mentioned earlier, that the, the, the Jewish people were looking to claim their righteousness through their law-keeping. But yet, in their keeping the law, their hearts had abandoned God. In keeping the law, they had abandoned mercy and goodness. God's people had mixed their faith with other gods. You look through even the book of Judges and you see that there are God-fearing people that think that they're supposed to be sacrificing their children just like the pagans do to their gods. You see God's people falling in line with the pagan cultures to the point of even having temple prostitutes in their synagogues. You see God's people, especially in the time and culture of Jesus in the Roman Empire, and there are God's people that are chasing after political power, thinking that if they can just change enough of the politics of their day, that they can bring God's kingdom to earth. Or you see God's people even abandoning the faith altogether. And I read through that list and I'm thinking we are no different from the nation of Israel in their day. In fact, which one of those does your heart go to? Do you combine your faith 
with the cultural practices and the hopes and the faiths of other faith systems? Do you try to earn your righteousness in God's favor by just being a good enough person? Have you traded your faith for a political party thinking that if you just vote for the right people that God's kingdom... And I, I, I don't mean this the way it sounds, but that God's kingdom will make America great again. Are you one of the people who have questioned the faith for so long that you just want to abandon it and leave this church stuff behind altogether? We're no different from the nation of Israel. When the pressure of life comes and peace is nowhere to be found, where do you turn? Because the difficulty is that the peace that you and I long for and chase after and everything else is only found in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And that this God who is showing His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. That God has to remain just in who He is. He cannot change His character in who He is because we have committed cosmic treason against this holy and infinite God. And this God says that there is a penalty for the sins that we have committed and are committing and will commit. You look through the Old Testament and there's the, the, the institution of the Old Testament sacrificial system. That in, in order to atone for sins and for wrongdoings, that there is a, a sacrifice that involves death and blood. In fact, if you look at Leviticus 7.18, if you want to jot that down as a note, it talks about that there is life in the blood of the flesh. And, but that's one of the linchpin verses of why God's people were called to sacrifice to earn atonement. But the problem is, that, sacrifice, that sacrificial system never actually earned righteousness. It just kind of wiped the sins away and they had to keep doing it over and over again. But as we already saw, all people are sinful and fall short of the, the glory of God. And so it, in, some, in some way we have to figure out how do we relate to this God who is completely just in everything that He does And we cannot do that. We cannot earn that. And so what does God do? God handles it in Himself. Knowing full well that you and I cannot earn justice on our own, He brings justice on your behalf. You look at the beginning of John 1, and you see that in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. That this God who declares you and I guilty of sin and deserving of death, we see the Word being Jesus being with God in the beginning. 
So, so this passage from John is establishing the, the deity of Christ, that, that Jesus is, is God Himself, and goes on in verse 14 to say that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. Glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So, you and I are guilty of, of sin, deserving of death. We cannot do anything to appease God. We cannot do anything to earn righteousness. And so God sends God to earn righteousness on your behalf. That God comes in the flesh. The Word becomes flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. And dwells among His people. And this is what we're celebrating during the Advent season. That the Advent season is not just about candles and Christmas hymns and songs. It's not about having a Christmas tree or putting up your lights or going to Christmas parties or giving presents. It's not any of those things. And those things are good. I'm not saying that they're bad. But the Advent season is so much more than just Christmas. Because when we observe Advent, we're observing and remembering this God who is dealing with our sin, your sin, my sin, by sending His own Son in the flesh to dwell among His people and to take your, your payment, your guilt-sin payment upon Himself. And that this Jesus is the only one that brings true peace. Regardless of who you are or what, you, what your background is, where you come from, who you vote for, what you look like, what denomination you are. That the only true peace comes in the person and work of Jesus. That Jesus is the gift of God given freely to His people. That He gives justification freely as a gift to His people. That this Jesus is your expiation your payment of sin, and He is your propitiation, turning God's wrath to favor. And so I have to ask you, this Christmas season, not even this Christmas season, today, December 9th, 2018, here in North Charleston, South Carolina, are you trying to earn your own peace? Are you trying to do good things? Are you trying to be a good enough person? Are you trying to to give enough away or to buy enough stuff to make yourself right? Or are you trusting in the One that gives true peace by turning God's wrath into your favor? Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You uh, for Your love and for Your goodness to us. Not because we've done anything to deserve it, but God, because it pleases You to love us. It pleases You, or it pleased You to give Your Son to pay a penalty that we could never pay and to give us a righteousness and a peace that we could never earn. So God, as we sit here this morning, 
Fill us with Your Spirit and help us to examine our own hearts. How are we trying to earn this peace? Are we chasing after it in our own efforts? Or do we truly rest in Jesus Christ alone? And the peace that He brings to Your people. We thank You, God, and it's in His holy name we pray. Amen.